Hey everybody, it is September 13th, 2017, and you're probably already wondering why you're hearing this guy instead of the usual guy, and that is because this week we are Nicholas, guys. We are sans Nick. We are without Nicholas. We are a podcast minus Nick equal what you're hearing right now. We are, uh, uh, Nick if he were to be here and then removed the uh, remaining shell, I suppose would then be, I guess, what you're listening to right now. He's not here, guys. Uh, but before anyone gets worried, before anyone gets uh, concerned or anything like that, Nick is fine. Nick is doing fine. His family, his friends, everyone that he's around uh, down in Florida are okay. They they survived the hurricane. Uh, however, of course, there were damage. So mostly that's what he's kind of taking care of this week. Uh, there's a couple of things he had to fix up, so he wasn't going to be able to get in here to do Weekly Manga Recap this week. So because of that, guys, you have a solo episode. I know. You're so excited, you don't know how to contain yourselves. And uh, we're going to do what we can, guys, to try to make this a fun episode. But unfortunately, uh, technical issues will not stop haunting me uh, until presumably I give back the, the gypsy necklace I stole from uh, Tanzia, but... You know, over my dead body. So, uh, unfortunately, there is no uh, video this week, uh, which is, again, unfortunate. But for whatever reason, just having my uh, webcam on was uh, causing some pretty bad uh, uh, audio issues to the reason of which I still don't completely understand. Uh, But despite that, despite what curses and weather and the, the, the very forces of nature and mysticism themselves cannot stop weekly manga recap from talking about most of the new chapters this week uh i just don't really read robot laser beam it looked kind of cool but hey guys we're gonna jump right into us with the recap portion of weekly manga recap starting with my hero academia chapter 152 le so guys last time we had that crazy conclusion where uh we had uh mirio whooping up and down on overhaul was absolutely just uh you know beating him up had already gotten through his two minions and it seemed like uh lemillion was actually just going to kind of win and take it all over uh but however one of overhaul's remaining minions uh kind of endured the beating and crawled his way into the scene, and our conclusion left off with the notion that he might get shot. And that is a pretty terrifying thing. So we we pick up right there, and it starts as we're still kind of in that moment of overhaul, tossing this uh, this case of uh, of bullets out, and we hear him explaining what these bullets are. So. Uh, Aerie's body basically was able to create this thing, this this compound that took away quirks, but it was only a temporary thing. They say up until now, the effects from the unfinished version would naturally wear off after a day or two. However, once the still from uh, Aerie's body, its efficiency, efficacy, efficacy, this is the good thing about Nick not being here, is you get to hear me butcher everything, uh, that thing fades. Uh, preserving, that was our starting point, which took a lot of work, but now it completely kills off a person's quirk. However, 
kind of expensive. They are very time-consuming, very costly, and an entire month in, they have only five rounds. So, uh, they've, they've, the overhaul has tossed this, this collection of bullets over to his minion, and his minion is concerned about firing, because he, he doesn't want to miss. He has what is called a moment of hesitation, because he knows how valuable these bullets are. He can't afford to waste a single shot. He has to make sure the bullet hits Mirio, because he, he can't risk Mirio phasing through it. So he he's, he's pausing, he's trying to think, how do I keep him from phasing? And he comes up with the idea, he will focus his gun on Aerie, and point it there, saying, I'll, I'll aim for his feelings. I'll aim for what he wants to protect. And this is sort of, I think, what a lot of people predicted. You see, Mirio sees what's happening here, and it says, Mirio understands. I, I guess this is the, uh, the My Hero, uh, narrator. That despite all the bloodlust, she doesn't cry or scream. That expression, she shuts her eyes, quits her teeth, and keeps silent. The way she braces for pain is if she has no other choice but to take it. She's so accustomed to just simply living. That agony and fear, she's gotten used to suffering from it. And she knows that firsthand. Uh, and we get this, this sort of montage here of Mirio leaping out to take the, the shot. And he, he gets four, you know, he reaches out, you know, he grabs her on top of the head, kind of gives her like a reassuring, like, you know, gesture of saying, you know, he has the big smile, of course. He's like, don't worry, you're never going to be in pain again. And as this bullet's heading towards him, we get this uh, small montage of Mirio's life, seeing when he was first, I guess, had his real experience with a, a hero, and he was just drowning in a river. And uh, we even see an image of his father for the first time, who has the same face, uh, and coincidentally has the uh, the same quirk as well. Because his dad says, you know, one wrong move with your quirk, and you could be split in two. And it's a tough one to control, which is why daddy gave up on being a hero. But you're still going to go for it. And Mary is all, he, he literally is so excited. The uh, sound effects for excited are fucking, like, bouncing around him. So he's like, just watch me! And we continue with this montage of all these interactions he had. These moments when, like, he'd be trying to do something, he'd fall through the floor... And we'd see this where, you know, his, his clothes go fine off and him getting a little bit stronger and learning his powers a little bit more. Um, going through all the things, even when Sir Nighteye kind of acknowledges him, how they got the name The Big Three. So it's it's this whole deal where they weren't really even considered that until everyone started to acknowledge how big Mirio's progress was. Uh, and that's kind of the reason for it. So... It's this big moment there, and then we get this almost full-page spread that is just the reaction of a thunk, which is sort of a weird sound for a bullet to make. But we see Mario get hit, and Overhaul starts kind of cackling, because he's like, Quirks make people's dreams come true. Let us actually become something. You've got a sickness of the mind, you know, it's funny. That power of that girl you're trying to save has robbed you of everything you've worked so hard to achieve. It's reduced you to nothing. Uh, and immediately following that, 
uh, Mirio just tosses the other fucking aide's body at, at Overhaul, kind of slams him with it and uses that opening to start beating the shit out of him. And Mirio has this, this, this big response where he's just like, you know, I'm going to read the opponent's moves and predict. So none of it, none of it, what I've done has been a waste. I'm still a million. And we get something here that is kind of this cool thing where we're seeing Overhaul try to fight him. And again, Overhaul seems to only need to touch you to kill you completely. So it's kind of this crazy thing where you're like, oh man, if he touches like Overhaul, like Lemillion, like once he'd be dead. Uh, but he's presumably using all of his, his skills trained to take, you know, his quirk and make it the best thing possible. And just using that, even without his quirk, to just dodge and avoid and, and, and protract essentially. Uh, because he, he feels that he owes a debt to Aerie. And uh, Overhaul is like, you know, is that what's in? He's like, what's with this guy? And we keep seeing that it's it's been 15 minutes since Mirio arrived at the scene. Five minutes since she was shot with that quirk eliminating round. And even with that overwhelming disadvantage, fighting two-on-one, quirkless for a full third of the battle, he fought. No. He protected her. And... You know, we see this, this moment where he's, he's, he seems to have reached his limit. We can see that he's, you know, he can't phase through these, these spikes or anything like that anymore. They're fighting, you know, they're piercing him. One's through the leg and others through the, like, you know, right through the, the, the stomach almost. And he's kind of reached his end. And then it's an awesome moment because you're just knowing that, like, oh, I mean, we, we skipped over it, but Mirio, quirkless, has been fighting and defending Airy the entire time during this. And uh it looks like Overhaul's about to finish this. He's 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 kind of got Mirio right where he wants him. Uh Mirio's even starting to like kind of say goodbye to the people he's, you know, Night Eye, Tomaki, everyone. Uh he calls out one last time to uh, Overhaul is his real name, Chisaki. And uh Overhaul's like, I abandoned that name. And then we just start seeing crumbles from the wall next to Overhaul. And our last shot is a two-page spread of Deku crashing through the wall to uh, finish this fight, so to speak. So, this is a supremely awesome chapter, guys. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this is something that uh, sticks, more or less. Uh, I, I could see definitely... In fact, I think it's more than likely we'll probably find some way for um for Mirio to get his powers back. But the the element here that's just so cool is seeing that put into practice that notion that your quirk really isn't the important thing. It's everything you do to support your quirk. And that's sort of what really shows what Mirio was capable of here. It's, you know, all the hard work he went into becoming the best hero and, you know, he loses his quirk, but then for what, five straight minutes he fights two-on-one against a guy who can basically kill him instantly if he gets the right kind of, you know, attack in there. And uh, it's pretty crazy, guys. I, it's it's an awesome chapter for Mirio. I'm super stoked at when this scene's going to eventually be uh, animated in the anime because I'd be really curious to see what they do with that, that five-minute gap there. You could make a whole episode out of that. As, you know, as far as I'm concerned, but uh, uh, it's a really cool chapter. Um, 
I'm excited for Deku to show up and, and start trying to help things out here. I do, uh, I do send, uh, understand what people are having some, some issues when it comes to the, uh, what's her name? Dragon Lady? I know that's not her name. It's, it's like Ryuka or something like that. Uh, Ryuka and, uh, you know, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on everybody. The, uh, oh my god, what the fuck? Urhar. No, no, that's not Urhar. Fuck. The fucking Gravity Girl. All those people. <laughs> Asui, all of them. Uh, it looks as though we might be skipping over them at the moment. Um, we could still go back there, but at, at this point, uh, they're kind of, uh, Uraraka. That's her name. No, wait. No, I still don't think that's it. No, wait, Uraraka. Yeah, that's right. All right, anyways. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is what happens when I don't have Nick here to, to, you know, reel in this ADD. Uh, it looks like we may not be going back to their stuff because as it is now, I mean, this seems like this is the fight, essentially, uh, of Deku and uh, Overhaul. So it'd be kind of weird to, like, side-skip over to those four beating up the one bullet who we haven't seen. So um, I don't know if we're going to get, like, a really big showcase of them. I hope they still have a role, because what with essentially everyone else except, like, Rock Lock having like a crazy big thing to do this arc. I guess I was all didn't really either, but you know, with Kirishima and Fat Gum having their thing and you know, Sir Night Eye even having a moment. I guess there's still Togata and Double out there or twice, so there's still some room for some elements to mix up and, and them to get theirs. But uh Yeah, I'm uh I like this chapter by and large. I think this is a really awesome moment for Birio. I mean fuck man. Birio I, I <laughs> I put him on there when he first showed up this year, but putting him on the list for uh, best new characters of, of 2017, he really has just, just absolutely killed it. This is a guy who's definitely made a huge impact in a very short amount of time. So totally dug this chapter. Uh, Nick, by the way, because even though he's not here, his thoughts are still with us. Nick said, an awesome final stand for Mirio. Seeing the million lose his quirk after getting to know him so well was a lot more impactful than if it happened to Sun Eater the first time we saw the guns. It makes me want Overhaul or the plan with Eri to carry on somehow past this arc so the example of a promising young hero losing his chance to be a hero continues to hang over the series. So, there you go. Alright, moving on here. Uh, we're going to jump into Boruto, because I forget where Boruto always stands, so fuck it. I'm placing it right here. Nick is not here to say differently. Try to stop me. Boruto, chapter 16, The Vessel. So, apologies in advance, everybody, because I'm going to fuck up a thousand names during this. <laughs> this is This is almost going to be an astonishment in and of itself, because I'm going to butcher everything here or not or just not know it um but hey so last time we saw this this new villainous organization that i believe called themselves kara or kara i'm assuming kara um but i say i'm assuming without any kind of knowledge to that uh and this time we we were watching in as they have their meeting these uh organization 13 looking motherfuckers so uh, you know, the, the leader of this group, or what I assume is the leader, because he's the only one who has a chair, 
uh, says, you know, apologies for the sudden summons, but this is an urgent uh, situation. We have lost the vessel. And uh, we see various members of the group going about and saying, you know, like, oh, you know, we spent all this time for this. It's, you know, you got to be kidding. We flushed all the, you know, enough money to buy a nation down the toilet. And the one voice of contrary here is an older man who says, now, 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 do not fret. An accident while in transit is not totally unexpected. It happens on the outskirts. Uh, it happened on the outskirts of the land of fire in a remote area surrounded by forest. Everything will be fine as long as we find and recover it quickly. And we see one member of the group, not the leader, but one of the other guys. It's tough to distinguish this guy as much because, you know, old guy, super big guy, female character. Like, those are ones you can easily identify them based on the few physical traits of them we can see. This is just the other dude. I guess mask guy is the best way to call him, so. Mask guy. Mask guy is not cool with old dude uh, thinking that blunders of this kind to begin with, you know. Or rather, it's that kind of thinking that causes these blunders to begin with. And uh, they have a bit of a spat before the leader's just like, all right, you know, whatever. It was a preventable failure. Let's make sure someone pays for this. So there's, uh, again, there's still a bit of a, a kind of squabbling going on here as the old guy really seems kind of uh, insulted by this. He's like, before you start yapping about my accountability, what of Amado? Why is he not here? And the leader's just like, he's very busy. And he's like, that... The explanation's bullshit. He's like, all right, fine. None of your business, biatch. And, uh, <laughs> one other dude at the meeting just goes, Pweet! In response, which I think is an amazing sound effect. Pweet. What would Pweet even sound like? There's a musical note at the end, so I assume it's like a whistle, but anyways. So... They're, they're discussing what I believe is supposed to be Boruto. Um, I'm not 100% certain on that, but I believe it's supposed to be Boruto. Uh, and they also, I guess, are discussing the idea of getting combat data on the new scientific ninja tool. Um, so the mask guy is like, all right, well, I'll be the one to handle all this. You know, old guy's like, what? You can't do this. Uh, as we find out here, his, uh, the mask guy is Kashin Koji. Um, so Kashin apparently is stepping a bit above his station by trying to do this, or at least that's what the old guy thinks. Uh, and the leader of the group agrees. So nobody has any objections. Kashin will take, uh, lead on this and Everyone starts to dematerialize. They start heading back into the uh, the human world now that they destroyed the Dark Spire and all that sort of stuff. Um, and we see the old guy who's presumably just like hanging out in the house. I guess that's where he lives. Uh huh. And he's just like, "How dare they mock me? I would have really given you one four if it weren't for that Genjutsu transmission." And uh, that's when Kashin's just like, "Oh really?" <laughs> uh, he's right behind him. And, uh, Kashin just says, From before the start of the meeting, Elder, have you gotten so senile that you can't sense an assassin who's not even hiding his bloodthirst? And, uh, before the old man can, uh, roll up his sleeve and 
and and do a uh, I don't know if he's supposed to be I guess he's just doing a jutsu we can't really see. It looks like he may have like some kind of equipment under his sleeve cuz he he pulls up his sleeve but doesn't look like anything 100%. Looks like it's the same kind of uniform they all have. Um so he gets a he gets a kunai in the middle of the fucking chest. Just bamf right there and uh, then it explodes. He goes down and uh, as Caution explains, the trance of true flames. Even your vaunted regenerative jutsu can't keep up. And uh, we just see uh, some of the charred legs of uh, this guy, the old man, as uh, Caution contemplates returning to the land of fire and Konoha village. I seem to be linked by fate to that village. So, hey, we had a kunai kill somebody. Although it was just a vehicle for, I guess, the real death. But also, this guy has some connection with uh, Konoha. So, cool stuff there. Uh, we then cut away to a scene of everybody watching as Boruto and Naruto fight. And uh, specifically, Naruto says, you don't need to hold back. So, they're going to have a real fight between the two of them as sort of this uh, showcase. So, there's this big fight. Uh, you know, Boruto goes in with his shadow clones. Everyone talks about, like, ah, wow, he's so sneaky and smart. Uh, Shikamaru even talks about how he's using doppelgangers to sneak up behind Boruto, or Naruto. And I think it's Sai who really makes a, uh, a big emphasis of, like, indeed, he's got the balls to take Naruto's rear. And I was like, I know Sai's, like, a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, he does that, like, he's just immature as shit. It's like, you'd think he'd grow out of that as an adult. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, Boruto got behind him, throws a Rasengan, and, uh, it just suddenly disappears. Everyone's like, hey, what happened? What, what do you, what do you do there? You know, what's, what's going on? And, uh, Boruto's like, well, fuck it, I don't care. How about this? And he, he shoots water out, you know? I guess that's, that's what he does. Alright. He shoots water down, and then, uh, he, uh, he combos it, throws some electricity into it now, too. You know? And everyone's stunned, cause they're like, holy shit. He thought of, like, a really easy elemental combination to do. But hey, you know? kind of important. Boy, Naruto is a little shocked by it. He has to throw up a mud wall, and then he punches through the wall because, you know, the water is stopped by it. It's dammed. And he punches through it, and we just see his hand kind of sitting there, and it starts, like, sucking up all of the water. Everyone's like, oh, okay. He's using his hand to absorb Boruto's jutsu. Everyone's like, I don't know how, but he is. And then the hand's just kind of sitting there. And Boruto's like, what's going on? Like, he hasn't moved an inch since that happened. What's he up to? And uh, Naruto is behind Boruto, and he's like, Ninja must always read the hidden meanings within the hidden meanings. Bam! Kicks his son in the back of the head. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, and uh, with that, Shikabu, uh, Shikamaru calls an end to the fight, says the hand-to-hand combat round is over. Um... But the important thing here is we see uh, Naruto's hand's gone. He left it in the wall. Yeah, his fake hand. He uh, left his prosthetic fake hand inside the wall as a diversion. And he absorbed all that jutsu using a scientific ninja tool. His, uh, his right hand was a scientific ninja tool. And uh, they, I guess, designed this after the fight they had with... Oh, Jesus. Atsusuki? Otsusuki? Otsusuki. There we go. That's... We're gonna say that's close enough. Uh, 
so he can absorb and neutralize the opponent's jutsu using his scientific ninja tool hand, but he can't discharge it back out at them. And Boruto's pissed because he's like, you cheated. You used a scientific ninja tool. You shit all over me for it when I used one, but now you're using it. And Naruto is just like, well, you, you see, it and Sasuke himself has to come in and be like, I thought you would have matured a bit. The key is in one, how one uses it. Nobody said the tool itself was wrong. So one, Naruto can't explain himself at all, which really makes me just question how this guy got to be leader at this point. He's so like, like, because it's a simple explanation. It is like, no, like, it's not the ninja tool itself that's cheating. It's how he used it. You used an upper hand, like an underhanded way to gain a quick advantage you know, immorally during this, and I'm using one to show that there is a valid way to use this. And instead of just saying that, he's just like, well, what do you see? And then Sasuke has to fucking show up, who I guess, like, being banned from, like, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm like a wandering ninja at this point, but I spend 80 to 90% of my time in Konoha. He, like, this dude's fucking always around at this point. <laughs> uh... And yeah, he's saying there are other things they learned from fighting uh, Ochosuke, like the dangers in the world, have not gone away yet. And the last scene of this chapter is uh, Konohamaru and some other dude who I don't think we're supposed to know. Uh, they're, oh, eh, no, never mind. I thought Horse was maybe the other guy's name, but anyways. Uh, they're, they're examining this blimp that crashed. They're looking around. Huh, there's no survivors. They see this thing that... For a moment, I thought it was supposed to be a coffin. It kind of looks like a coffin. Um, it's not really clear. Uh, but it's open. Definitely seems like coffin-esque. And, uh, immediately we get, uh, Konohamaru thinking like, mm, something's wrong here, something's up. Uh, and the last shot is someone approaching with a crunch sound effect. So, that's, uh, Boruto for this week. So, I, it's sort of an interesting chapter because this is one of those ones, it's a long chapter, but it's broken up into kind of like these two and a half, I guess, succinct kind of parts. Um, I'm not entirely certain what the, like, uh, setting for the, the hand-to-hand combat's supposed to be. Like, I don't think they're still doing the tuning exam at this point. So, I'm not certain what this was meant to be in-universe, if this was meant to be just like, an exhibition between the Hokage and his kid, or if this is meant to be a demonstration of scientific ninja tools, or if this is meant to be, like, Boruto getting a shot to redeem himself after the tournament, just an exhibition. Uh, it didn't need a whole lot of context, but I was kind of curious if there was meant to be one. Uh, I did like the whole maneuver, though. Everything with the, the hand and the wall is pretty cool. Uh, and the villain group, it's tough to say right now, Honestly speaking, they're not particularly memorable of a group at this moment. Uh, I do like one dude in the group just getting axed off right from the beginning uh, by another member of the group. It's usually a good way to kind of build up the intimidation level of at least one of the members. Um, but the group's personality right now doesn't feel very distinct. We know the designs don't really carry a whole lot to them. And, you know, at this point we're still kind of just trying to see what these members are going to be like. You know, it's it's not like uh, they have crazy unique designs 
really over-the-top personalities or anything like that. They all kind of just feel okay, and we'll see what happens. Um, but, by and large, I still liked it. Uh, Nick said, Mysterious enemies doing mysterious things didn't really do anything for me. Boruto's sparring session with Naruto was okay, but the misdirection with him leaving his arm behind the wall was so cool, it made me wish they'd saved the trick for a much more important fight. So, there you go, guys. That was Boruto for this week. Not a bad chapter at all. But let's move on to Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, chapter 230, Aim for Victory. So, last time we got that big revelation that Megumi, during the break, was training personally with uh, Shinomiya, who showed back up. So this chapter begins in that flashback as we've kind of found out that during this practice, during the time on the train, they were kind of uh, broken off into three different groups. So, you know, because it's, it's the whole thing. They're like, there will come a time when your ability as an individual will be tested during these team competitions. So, Jirichiro, you watch Soma, uh, Dogma, or not Dogma. Go gone? It's all gone. I forgot his name. Uncall him Dogon. I don't think it's Dogen. Nope, that's lost character. Bald, super muscular dude. Dojima. There you go. Dojima will observe Aldini, and obviously then, uh, Shinomiya was specifically watching over, uh, Megumi. And, there's this, uh, you know, immediate moment when Shinomiya realizes what's happening then. Uh, and he's like, it's going to be you and me, kid. I'll be training you personally one-on-one. Got it? Megumi Todokoro. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I like that Soma and Aldini are, like, you know, they have, like not fanboys. They have to go in, like, with a really big thing of, like, Chef Shinomiya, winner of the Plus Bowl War Tree, Todoroki in person? You came here all the way even though you had your own restaurant? And, uh... It's kind of a running theme throughout this chapter is Shinomiya keeps sort of reemphasizing, I didn't come here to train anybody. I came here on a whim. I just happened to be here. I really don't care about this zombie stuff. Uh, but they look over to Megumi and she's pretty uh, terrified because we can see behind her is this flashback of the, the scenes that they had together. And they were some pretty tense moments, you know. They Megumi and Shinomiya did not have a great first interaction with one another. Um... And she's reliving the terror of that unofficial Hell Camp Shokugeki. And uh, that is kind of the chapter we're getting into here. We find out that Megumi's ingredient was apples. So she will be competing against the little girl fucking chef, the pastry chef. I don't I don't care what her name is, guys. We'll just get rid of all that. Uh, she's going to be competing against her in an apple competition. You can see... Uh, She's, she's talking about like, ooh, yeah, what should we make, Butchie? Something cute. A cute and special disc, uh, dish. One so cute and special to beat all the bad guys. And we cut back into that flashback, and we see that Megumi's training with, uh, Shinomiya did not work very good at the start. Uh, the first time she, she's asked to make a dish, she immediately, like, spills the fucking pepper and then burns it, and it's, it's all sorts of mess, and <laughs> Shinomiya has no patience. Like, what are you, a noob? You did better in the hell camp. Um, hours later, it's still not really working out. Um, 
so Dojima and, and, and Shinomiya basically have this talk. Again, it, it considers just the thing that Shinomiya is only here because it was just a whim. He he doesn't care. I know Zami has this whole complex uh plan to like force restaurants into his plans, but he's not going to agree to it, so it doesn't matter to him. And uh, in this flashback, we kind of get a glimpse of the various parts of Shinomiya's life really quick. Uh, but he has this great little dialogue that I, I really like where he says, I merely thought that maybe it was my turn to teach someone else. And as soon as I did, the faces of those two popped into my mind. And he sees uh, Soma and Megumi. So, you know, he sets up. Megumi's busy fucking feeding herself confidence. And uh, Shinomiya just says, Megumi Todoroku, uh... Toto Koro, and, uh, you know, she flinches instinctively because he has that intimidating glare, and, uh, as he gets close, he just says, you know, like, oh, you guts, you gotta have guts to be a chef, so let's see them, I want you to over overcome all your fears, because you lose the battles you could win, so quit being a whoosh and sow some guts, and, uh, he's, he's trying to be, uh, motivating to her, uh, he's, 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 he's going for it, and, <laughs> this is where... This is a strange turn for the chapter. Uh, because Megami starts thinking about the ping pong manga, shoujo ping pong manga she used to read. Uh, with, uh, the coach in it saying, take your pain, your sweat, your tears, and smash them into a little ball. And, uh, she's like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, she was a big fan of shoujo manga, apparently, uh, particularly a uh, popular ping pong series. And not many know this, but her interest in that series is what influenced her to take up ping pong as a hobby. So we have that necessary piece of context. And she says, you're right, I'm not going to let the fear win anymore. Coach Shinomiya, and she's super fucking shoujo-esque. Uh, they, they draw her just like a shoujo series. And she's like, I promise I won't give up again, coach, one more time. He's like, all right, let's do it. Why is she calling me coach? I don't get it. <laughs> Uh, and they, you know, uh, Dojima kind of notes, like, you know, Megumi has a talent for vegetables, so put her in the care of another who's made their name through vegetable dishes, and her skill will grow by leaps and bounds. Together, the two of them are the Legumi pair, or Lejum pair, I don't know, fucking their shoujo ping pong cover right now, which is so fucking awesome, I, I really can't even explain it at this point. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it goes to show there was, uh, you know, a real connection between the two of them, and, uh, we might really see an incredibly different sort of, uh, Megami here, because, uh, Shinomiya presumably had a, uh, a full training session with her and imparted some stuff onto her. He really was a good teacher. That's the important thing. So, she's, uh, saying to herself, I'm gonna take everything Coach Shinomiya taught me, like as she's still calling him coach, and use those new skills during the bout so that we can all have a victory. And uh, the last kind of page is uh, Aldini and Soma getting ready to go up on there saying, We can't let uh, fucking Megami outdo us here. And uh, we just know... Oh, I guess actually we do know this. So the ingredient for Soma's battle is going to be butter. And the ingredient for uh, the Azon-Takumi battle is going to be beef. So, butter, beef, and apples. Butter seems like a really weird ingredient to have to work in. But, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. 
I'm, uh, I feel like butter is such a universal, like, it feels like it's really hard to not find a way to make butter into something, but, I mean, fuck, I guess if you were, like, the sushi guy, you're like, I don't know. I guess, can you make sushi with butter? I assume somewhere in the process, I guess you could put butter in the rice, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I love this chapter, guys, I absolutely thought this was great. You know, I love Shinomiya. I love the relationship he's having with Toto. Uh, fucking, I don't know why I keep trying to say her last name, Megami. Uh, I love the relationship he's gonna have with Megami. I love the, the even just it's it's such a short moment, but I love that moment where he says, "I really thought that maybe it was my turn to cheat someone." And as soon as I did, the face of those two popped into my mind. I thought that's such an awesome, cool moment, and uh, it's really great. Uh, Nick says, I think it's self-defeating to play up the team angle of the competition only to turn around and start emphasizing individual ability after. Literally the first example of teamwork we've actually seen. Also, Shinomiya saying noob is weird. Uh, noob is weird. That said, I like the bizarre form Shinomiya and Megami's coaching took and how it tapped into her ping pong background, which is the only thing we've seen Megami be completely confident about. Also, those apples look like they taste better than any actual apple you would find in the real world. So there we go. Really fun chapter. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing these bouts start off. I'll be honest at this point, the one I'm most primarily interested in seeing at this point is uh, the Megami Momo fight. I really, the other ones, whatever, but I, I really can't wait to read that one. So, good chapter. All right, let's move on and get stoned. Dr. Stone, chapter 26, A Shallow Alliance. So this is a weird chapter. This is a very, very weird chapter. It's all about Gen and Gen Asagiri, as said. Um, and has sort of a weird pacing to it. So it starts off showing when Gen was freed, you know. Which they clarify was just 10 days before he met Senku. And, uh, I do like how his first reaction upon being freed was like, is this a hidden camera show? Didn't my manager stop it? I mean, I guess I'll just go along with it, but, you know, what's the... <laughs> like, he's just thinking it's like a candid camera uh, moment. And uh Tsukasa is immediately there to explain what year it is and how uh they're only 19. And apparently, I guess the two of them shared a brief moment together uh, uh during a special on psychological magic. So uh he, he knows Tsukasa off uh, firsthand there. And Sukasis explains that the stone statues I've gathered here represent a collection of humans most worth reviving, yourself included. And there's a full-page spread of Gen looking out and seeing, like, he sees the silhouette of Sukasa himself. And then he just sees what can almost only be described as, like, a hill or a mountain of various different individuals who are encased in stone and they all look to be uh, in some kind of height of pinnacle you know elevation there's a whole variety of different people there and it really is just this a mountain's best term i could really use to describe her hill it's uh it's pretty crazy so uh it's, it's a intimidating moment where you're like oh so this is what Tsukasa is up to he is building the craziest kind of army he can right now and he says again, uh, I see your potential and skills as a mentalist, so I freed you to perform a certain task. Track someone down and get intel on him. This is purely just in case, but if a man named Senku is still alive, I need you to find him for me. 
He's the smartest man in the world, and I killed him myself. So there's an argument kind of going on as uh, Sueka and, you know, a discussion essentially is had about, you know, is Gen a bad guy? If he's friends with Tsukasa, Tsukasa's a bad guy. That means Gen's a bad guy. You know, why did, uh, uh, why didn't Gen save everyone from Magma so he's a good guy? Like, there's just a question that they don't really know where Gen stands at this point. And, uh, Senku's pretty clear about this. He's just like, hey, whether Gen Asuragi, uh, Asagiri's intentions are honest or not, we've got no choice but to recruit him to the uh, Kingdom of Science. So let's get him to return with a false report that I'm six feet under. That's our only path to victory here. Because to be very clear, if, if Sukasa finds out what he's doing and where he is, he'll just march on him and crush him. The Kingdom of Science is not quite there yet. So, uh, Chrome has this, this big moment there where he kind of catches up with Gen and he's just like, hey, you know, you saw it yourself, what the electricity was, that bad light of science. You know, who cares about all that? Which is more interesting of the two sides? And clearly it's the kingdom of science. And uh, Gen's just like, oh, yes, yeah, such hot-blooded declaration. Sadly for you, Chrome, I couldn't care less about that. I'm the world's smoothest talker, you see. I only have eyes for what benefits me. And he heads off, uh, Kwaku immediately drew a knife to go try and kill him, and I think Zinku's like, what are you, come on now. <laughs> uh, and we see Gen taking a look at the, uh, Daimo real quick before somebody shows up, punches him in the face, takes out a spear, and jams it through his chest. And we can kind of see the silhouette outline of them. And I, I think it's supposed to be somebody from the village. Like, I think it's supposed to be maybe the village elder. But it's not entirely clear. That's what I had to assume it is. Because it, it certainly doesn't seem like it would make a whole lot of sense with it being somebody from Zukasa's group. I just don't remember that. Like, I know there's the, the village, like, elder, the village leader, who's been kind of, like quietly talking to like about how he's you know being antagonistic towards the kingdom of science we haven't seen him do anything yet and it seems kind of a little bit weird to silhouette him entirely but it, it wouldn't make sense for it to be a member of Sukasa's group with the way things ended here because even though for a brief moment it seemed that uh gin is dead obviously he's not you know they they say oh man who could be so blood to kill him and then we see oh no it's a fake blood packet. It saved him. He has a whole bunch all over. You know, and he, I guess, came into the, uh, this, this village with precautions already made and slammed them in there. And, you know, even Senku's impressed though. You know, he's a real magician to the core. Good for you. But obviously still getting punched in the face and stabbed like that is, uh, pretty, pretty debilitating. So he needs time to recover. Uh, Kaku says, you know, even with these, with these injuries, there's no telling when he'll be up and walking again. If Gen doesn't get back to Tsukasa, Senku will be killed, because he just has to assume that if, if Gen doesn't get back, that something happened to him, and perhaps that means Senku's alive. You know, it's a sort of just a precautionary mission. So, you know, Gen hears that. He doesn't hear what Senku says. Actually, Senku... Sorry, let me, let me correct myself. Gen's muttering something. Senku gets close. We see Senku mutter something else, and then Gen kind of, like, rolls over and has this look. And the next day... Gin is gone. Holy shit, what happened? Um, so we see that he's running off. Senku's like, okay, so he's gone back to Tsukasa. 
And Chrome's like, what is that bad? He's going to spill everything to uh, fucking Tsukasa. And we, we cut away from that because we don't have time for that. We, we just see Gin returning and saying, you know, Tsukasa, I found a primitive village. Got in a scuffle with them and took some licks. But in the village, Senku, he... We cut back because Senku is explaining what happened. And he's saying, think about it. If Gin didn't have even one millimeter of interest in science, he wouldn't have helped us out from the start. The moment I create electricity, Gin decided which camp to join. It's just that a guy as fickle as that had to put on a good show for us. And uh, we find out what Gen wanted, calling back to that time he tried ramen, the uh, the stone world ramen, you know, what I wouldn't give for a cola right now. And what he whispered to Senku earlier in this chapter was saying, in this stone world, could you make it, Senku? Just one bottle of cola? And Senku's like, who do you think you're talking to? Of course I can make some. And we see Gen say to Sukasa, Senku, I saw not hide or hair of him. He's dead, surely and truly. And uh, Senku's team could celebrate in the first battle between Sukasa's empire and the Kingdom of Science in the war over Gen Asagiri. The Kingdom of Science claims victory. A bottle of cola clenched it. The world's shallowest alliance. We see this, uh, Mostly full-page spread of uh of uh the Stone World Cola that he made. Uh, it's Senku Cola. I don't know where they got the glass bottle from. I'm very curious about that. Also, were they able to pressurize? This is where I'm not good at science, and it 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 hurts. <laughs> I'm like, could you pressurize and like get that much carbonation into something at that point i'm actually it, it's weird the the part that's disappointing me is they didn't show him making the bottle of cola which you know is fine because they did uh all the the important stuff of it like fucking this week uh you know of, of, of like all the character development stuff but i don't know i just sat there i was like oh i kind of was hoping we'd actually see them make the cola I don't know. Maybe it is that they're, you know, going to make it next week. Um, I'm not a hundred percent certain yet, but it, it's not clear that they didn't. Like, I, I don't think there's anything to explicitly state. I haven't made it yet. Uh, the tenses he kind of uses here are kind of vague enough to go either way. Um, but anyways, the point of the matter is. Uh, Gen's on their side, which is not that big of a shock to me. I kind of figured when he just kind of abruptly showed up and got a lot of focus, it was like, okay, they're probably going to find something to do with this guy. Um, and I think he's, he's a good kind of character to add into this, this larger group cast. Um, you know, we have Kaku, Senku, um, Chrome now, I guess Suweka. There's the other side group of characters, the two brothers, I guess are probably actually part of that group. Uh, and then there's like the side cast beyond that like the the fat guy the um sapphire and the other i feel like jewel named sisters or you know, precious stone named sisters um i don't think they're sisters i think they're just all women regardless i don't know if those ones are going to be important but this core group right here i think again is a, a a cool character to add to that um but in general i think this chapter was really hard to uh, follow and understand i liked it but I legitimately, I, I had so much trouble following what was happening 
after, you know, we, we got that first moment of, of, of Chrome being like, Hey, you know, which more interested between the two of them? Like, I'm not, I was like, was this something Gen was planning for this attack to happen? Uh, who was it that did it? Like, why are we hiding it? Did Gen know who it was? Like, he just says who, why, and then he gets stabbed. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it felt like there wasn't a whole lot of time to really dwell on all these things and just like, it makes sense in like a peace form, but the fluidity between them is just kind of jarring. So, uh, it's one of the chapters I think was a little bit harder to get into the same way, but I think, uh, it's still good. I still like it. Uh, it's just not as clear as I think I probably would have liked it. Uh, Nick said, a weird little roller coaster moved really quickly between some points that a bunch of it didn't sink in for me. I like the idea again is the, has that dishonest trickster nature where you can't be upfront about anything. And there's also just this weird, uh, also that there's just that one modern luxury he wants that'll keep him pushing onward in a goofy kind of shonen way. Also love that shot of Tsukasa with his frozen army standing before him. There you go. So, good chapter. Not the greatest, but pretty good. All right. Let's move on here then to We Never Learn. Uh, question 30. A genius is avidly dedicated to the investigation of X. So as we start out here, I think the real reason Nick isn't here, because he didn't want to admit that I totally called this one again last week when I said, oh, all right, they framed that shot last week in a way to say that they may not have kissed. And Nick was like, no, I'm definitely kissed. I know everything. Because I'm the smartest man in the world. But, turns out, no, they didn't. They didn't kiss. Wega thought they were going to kiss, but they didn't. In fact, she got very close, uh, but then Ogata turned away. So, what's up with that? Uh, so the cast is uh, going over a couple scores of their various tests, uh, but Yoega uh, kind of notes like, oh, you barely passed your language arts test, uh, Ogata. You know, we really need to put some extra time in for that. And, uh, you know... They're having their solo practice, essentially. And Yuega's like, oh, okay, well, everything seems to be basically as normal as ever. So, I guess I must have just misread yesterday. What are you going to do? And I got to ask a question about something here that I'm not entirely sure of. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess this is a very Japanese sort of story. I don't know if it's a real story or not. It could be fucking nothing. Uh, but it's a story about a man who hears the sound of hammering whenever he tries to do anything. After reaching wit's end, he writes a letter to a certain author about this problem. Okay. I have, like, I, I think that's just a cultural thing, because I sit here, I'm like, I don't get what that story would be about, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but I got to start kind of trying to get into it, and she's saying, so here, the narrator wants to kiss, uh, Hane, uh, does he learn, does he then lose that urge? And he's like, yeah, you know, you're like, yeah, there's a the sound of hammering from a nearby can, uh, cabin. So I guess that's, you know, that's the way that guy loses his nerve, essentially that, you know, the telltale hammer or whatever. He just, when he hears hammering, he fucking loses track of everything else. So Ogata says, so if there was no sound of hammering, why on earth would someone hesitate and end up not kissing someone? She gives, uh, you this very 
piercing gaze and uh, you know he's just like oh you mean uh, you know in your dream i uh, you know it's uh, well, let's talk about that when you're done studying she swoops in literally there's a swoop and i get super close but doesn't kiss him <laughs> and you is just like wait you do it again what the stop all right well, let's get back to study like he can see her leaning in and then like looks over and she'll be like shoop like go ahead and fucking go right back to just looking at her notes and shit she's like that baby Groot scene at the end of guardians of the galaxy where he's dancing and every time fucking drax looks he just freezes except in this case it makes sense why she would freeze when uh uega slash drax looks uh in the movie it didn't make sense at all i i really always feel like uh Groot was just fucking with drax which is kind of mean when you think about it anyways uh it's great though because she goes in for another shoop and uh that's it. You know, we can just like peeks open one eye and it's just like, hey, <laughs> like Caesar doing that. She's like, oh, you're only pretending to close your eyes. That's cheating. <laughs> so they have to, you know, bring this shit up. And, uh, you know, she's saying, yes, since uh, we accidentally collided that one time, I thought trying again might clarify things. That was the idea. But when I actually made up my mind to do it, for some reason I found myself hesitating. And I don't know why it's driving me crazy and I'm really determined to do it. And Yuega's like, what are you fucking, t- like, that's, why are you crazy? And she's like, oh, did I do something really inappropriate? And she's like, yeah, thanks for noticing now. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, for noticing you can't just keep, like, approaching me to make out and then backing away. And it's not kind of weird <laughs> at that point. You're not, like, really invading personal space and shit. Uh, and she apologizes. And she she explains how ever since she was little... When she'd get obsessed with the question, she couldn't let it go until she answered it. And when she'd get focused on something, she'd lose sight of everything else. And we 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 cut and see how uh she was when she was much younger. Looks like she's maybe in like first or second grade, and she's asking a teacher, she's like, How can Tanaka and Sato both be right even though they answer the question differently? And the teacher's like, Well, you know, Ogata, everyone has feelings that they think differently, right? So there can be multiple right answers in language arts. And God is like, I don't get it. <laughs> and uh, we see all the other girls in school, uh, in the class, being like, yeah, God is nice, but she's kind of weird. She's strange. and She's super great at math, but she doesn't understand human emotions. And uh, God to just ask bluntly, am I weird? And I like it, because he goes like, yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> but, you know... I think that's also what makes you so cool. Your ability to focus and your determination to get to the bottom of things are qualities I don't have. Honestly, I really admire you. But this is a separate matter. <laughs> Listen here, Ogata. And he, he, he fucking stands up and he's, he's doing this weird pose where like he's he's got one hand on his head and he's like supporting his elbow with the other hand. And he's like, for girls and in fact for boys too, a kiss should be something sacred. I'm appalled that you would treat it so lightly. You're definitely going to have regrets for sure. Like, oh God, is just being like, you sure know a lot about kissing, you Uega. He's like, you don't say that either. Be mean. But he finishes off by saying like, so before you go off co- half cocked, just talk to me first and I'll hammer a nail in it to help you put the brakes on. He's going to be the, the sound of hammering to that Japanese story that I don't quite understand. And, uh, you know, as he gave her, like, the reassuring pat on the head, which, another thing that we still haven't gotten to the, uh, the core of, uh, but she just notes, like, is it my imagination, or did that weird feeling left over from my dream finally clear up? And they're, they're gonna focus on 
doing that now. They're going to focus on just studying, you know? Now that she's got a little bit more uh, insight into things. So they're walking home. We, we hear the, the chirping of, uh, what is it, Kikadas? Chinkadas? Is that a thing? Whatever the fuck those fucking noisy-ass cricket bugs uh, fucking things are. I can't, like, I, I, it must be something like Kinkata, because there's Ninkata, or Cicadas. I, 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 look, my knowledge of a lot of creatures is based on the Pokemon that are relevant. <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, but they're having this thing where, you know, they're having this conversation, and Yueka starts intently staring at Ogata. Like, you know, really intently. And she's getting nervous because she, he's kind of pulling his, his gaze in closer and closer. And she's like, you know, earlier you said that. And she, he's super close. And she's like, no, you wake up. And she's like quivering and she's got the blush going on as, uh, fucking, you know, he like, I had a bug in your hair. I got it. I was super close. And she is really pissed off about that. She's like, I'm fine. I don't need you to take care of me. He's like, uh, did you want me to just leave it on your head? I don't know how she would not notice that. That bug was fucking enormous. That shit, I feel like, would, uh... It was probably, like, at least 1% of her body weight. She's such a tiny fucking person that I feel like she would have noticed that size of a bug on her head. But, anyways, I like this chapter a lot, guys. I, I think this was a pretty cool chapter. I really dug how we got a, you know, a really powerful moment here for uh Ogata. We really got to see a different side of her, got some new context for her, and it, it was a nice moment. It was something that I don't think I could ever relate to, but I can completely 100% understand that notion, and I, I really liked it. Uh, Nick seemed to agree as well, because he said, okay, yes, the cliffhanger was a misdirect, but this was a good character chapter. I love seeing the vulnerability she, Ogata, showed, her self-consciousness about her inquisitive nature, and the blunt way of dealing with things she didn't understand. Yuega's equally blunt acknowledgement uh, that Ogata was a little weird, and that's a good thing rather than bad, was probably my favorite moment of his so far in the series, showing how he has not only grown to care for his students, but has grown to understand them as well. I think that's a great point. Nick has a very good point there. This is probably the best moment for Yuega in the series thus far, because he really has shown a tremendous amount of growth. It's a great moment to just say, like, yeah, you're weird, but that's awesome. And that there's part, like... I'm jealous of the way you can do things like, you know, how you can just zero in on problems and, you know, focus and so intently on things. I, I'm jealous of that. I, I really like that element. Um, it's a very important thing to kind of like accept people for what, you know, kind of makes them odd or different or things like that. He really kind of, I think is a very encouraging person right now. So uh, I think it was a really good chapter for Yuega. Great chapter for Ogata. Got some more character for her. Great chapter all around, I guess. So let's move on here to The Promised Neverland. Uh, chapter 54, B0632, Part 4. That's a weird name. Let's call it that broken teacup nonsense dealy. Hashtag Metallica. So last time, they met who they thought was initially Minerva. Turns out it wasn't. It's a... Uh, Another escaped kid who has uh, grown up quite a bit is enjoying the luxury of eating cookies all alone in this uh, super cool base. And he said, leave your pen or I will kill Emma. He has a gun up to Emma's head right there and says, give me the pen or else die here. So Ray is, is basically trying to think what to do here. 
He's noting, like, they can't leave. It's a weather-beaten wasteland outside. It's cold. There's people chasing them. They can't start a fire or else they'll just provoke the, ch- you know, the creatures chasing them. Where will they go? They have no direction now. It, you know, they, they'd just be wind- uh, wandering aimlessly. It'd be too dangerous, especially for the young kids. So we do that. And, and most importantly, we then lose our only connection to Minerva if we lose this pen. So I can't let it go. But what about Emma? And to which that response in, in Ray's mind is met with Emma just, I don't know what you'd even call this. This is, first and foremost, this is like the most, like, fucking long build up to a punch in the world. This is like, this is like a dick shot that had, like, flourishes to it. Like, she's fucking winding this shit up like an old fucking, like, baseball pitch. Like, oh, just fucking slams it. Uh... <laughs> And he's done, basically. Like, he just, he gets hit in the nuts. Obviously, Emma can go because she fucking just ended that dude's family lineage at this point. Uh, and she just notes, like, or I think actually it was Gilda who says, what if he pulled the trigger by mistake? Well, what are you doing, Emma? That's crazy. And she says, yeah, but you didn't shoot. And she just kind of bluntly points out, you're bluffing about killing us. You just want to chase us out, don't you? And, uh, the guy fires a shot right past her. You can see it. He's like, it wasn't a bluff. She's like, yeah, it was. You missed. <laughs> and I kind of just, like, love that bluntness to it, where he's just like, see, I'll kill you all right now. She's like, no, you won't, because you had a chance, and you still just didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, we're in your way, but you don't want to kill us. You know, and that's why you're telling us to leave. So... All the other kids start to realize, like, yeah, this makes a lot more sense at this point. You know, it would make more sense to just kill us rather than kick us out because we could just call attention to this place otherwise. And he's like, no, you just didn't want to deal with corpses, so shut up because I'm going to kill you all this time. And uh, Emma's just like, no, you're not. You're not leaving. I'm not giving you the pen. And also, my family's not useless. Except for Fat Chops. But he's funny to me. Like, belittling him gives me enjoyment in my days. (laughs) Uh, so you've had your say about di- us dying or being useless, but listen to me. Our family, our hope, our compassion are not useless. All of it is necessary to us. And, uh, the guy who is, uh, holding down on them is, 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 is kind of at an impulse, impasse. He has nothing, he doesn't know what to do. He's, he's panicking. He doesn't want to kill these kids, but he, he can't, they're clearly not going to leave. You know, he's like, ah, oh, my skin's crawling. Oh, I knew it. These guys, he's trembling. And then he starts, like sweating and, and breathing hard and he starts mumbling and then you start hearing him say these things like no don't john that's not true john lucas you need to shut up no no it's them pass out <laughs> boom fucking flat on the table and uh they know like okay this isn't like an act he's knocked out for real and everyone's like what was up with that who's lucas like what happened there and just like uh, I don't know. And what did he mean by them? So, Ray's like, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out later. Let's go exploring right now. And, uh, they're going to start looking for leads. So the, the most important thing is to find the reference room. You know, the room where all the information and materials about the world were. So Emma and I will look for the reference room. Don and Nat, you keep guard on the old man. Everyone else, you look for rooms for us to sleep in. It's like a Scooby-Doo, uh, split up right here. And, uh, we, we, we go over and 
we see two characters who I feel like we've seen them before, but I don't remember them at all. Yvette and Anna. Um, there's a lot of those characters. Like, there's a Chris in this group somewhere. I think it's that kid actually. No, that, it must not be him. I forget which one's Chris, but there is a Chris in there. Uh, so Yvette and Anna find this room. It is, uh, what looks to be a bunk room. However, it is not cool. <laughs> it is, it is pretty fucked up. It is, words are just written all over. There's help, 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 help. There's a bunch of names written onto the wall. Liars written in, like, underneath one of the beds, like the top bunk. Um, there's just a lot of terrifying things written on the wall. A bunch of, uh, hash marks, things like that. Um, and the most particular one they kind of point out is the term poachers. That's what, uh, Yvette kind of is like, huh? Poachers? And that's where we end the chapter. But that's a, a pretty terrifying kind of conclusion we got there, where, you know, they walked in and essentially like, it's almost for a moment like one of those safe rooms from Left 4 Dead. We just walk into it, it's a bunch of terrified scribbling until you put it in a mod pack that just turns it all into like, Kermit the Frog memes and shit, which is how I played Left 4 Dead. I also made uh, the tanks like, SpongeBob SquarePants and Macho Man Randy Savage, so guess the kind of person I am. Regardless, <laughs> fact is, uh, it's kind of terrifying room to walk into, and this in, you know, the same chapter as this this guy freaking out and almost seeming like he might have split personalities or something there. Um, you know, you wonder if there's truth to what he the story he told before about being the only survivor in a group of kids that managed to escape. Um, maybe those are the names we see there on the wall. Are they real people? Were they just different personalities inside of him? I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, interesting kind of, uh, theories I think you could suggest there, but I think more than anything else, just seeing the, this room and then this chapter with, uh, that, that kind of freak out that happened. It's, it's kind of unnerving, but in a good way. I'm definitely, uh, pretty excited to see what happens there. So. Pretty good. Nick says, uh, where do you say it? There we go. Emma punched a dude in the balls. That's really all I remember from this chapter. Didn't leave as much of an impact with Nick. <laughs> uh, but that's fine. It's still, I think, a good chapter. Um, I'm excited to see more. Promise Neverland's been in this spot where it's kind of like been building to something and we're just kind of waiting for those, uh, big, uh, big chapters to start coming together. Let's move on then to Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 234, The Door to the Unknown. And this is going to be a really quick chapter to recap, because not honestly all that much happens in this chapter. Um, we know last time that that weird eyeball demon thing that's been serving uh, Merlin found Arthur Pendragon, who is hanging out outside of Camelot, and we find out what he's doing right now. He, you know, he... Specifically, he's, he's getting this sort of thing where he's, he's hearing information about how certain demons work, and he's using that to avoid fighting some demons, and then he basically has this secret hideout of Camelot survivors. You know, it's all hidden underground, um, it's all very intricate, a whole bunch of people, everyone's like, hey, what's that weird eyeball thing? And he's like, it's a thing with Merlin, doesn't matter that much, the eyeball's like, trying to, Trying to really fucking humble brag, like, I was born from the mother of chaos and I'm royal vampiric blood, I am the great Orlandi summer! I was like, whatever, you're fucking, fucking eyeball. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, and I specifically note that 
Merlin has been, or not Merlin, Arthur has been trying to protect everybody here. You know, they, they recognize that, you know, people here are in good spirits, and that's very much in spite of the fact that their town has been demolished. You know, uh, Orlandi, when he sees everybody kind of partying, he's like, you guys are taking it easy, but don't you understand what's happening in the capital? The demons that are preying on the brainwashed humans are being sacrificed to break the goddess's seal. And Arthur's just like, yeah, I know. And people have lost a lot, but that's why we work hard to remain positive. Otherwise, we would be able to keep our sanity. And uh, essentially, we find out that the the seal is weakening with every day. You know, more and more creatures are coming out, and Arthur has been killing them. Apparently, he's been he's been mortalizing them. You know, we we even see this this one panel of a bunch of demons who are just getting absolutely eviscerated. Um, you can't even see actually what's doing it. You just see creatures and then they're like being like bisected and shit. And it's not clear. I, I, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be specifically Arthur who's doing that or this like samurai dude who's, you know, chewing on the piece of wheat that we also see in this chapter or fucking whatever that, you know, the thing in the mouth supposed to be. I assume it's supposed to be. Arthur, but I'm not 100% certain on that. I don't think it really matters either way. We both get the impression that these guys are, you know, killing the demons and they're pretty good at it. Um, but that guy says, like, all right, so those demons are coming. Time's come to put our strategy into action. And, you know, Orlandi's like, how the fuck are you guys going to do that? You're going to march right into the castle? You'll be killed or captured. You're, you're fucked. And Arthur's like, nah, man, I'm going to be great. I'm going to take Camelot back with my own two hands as long as I get that one thing back. And he's like, Marlandi's like, you know, what thing? He's like, oh, you know, Divine Sword Excalibur. Cut over to, oh, man, Zeldris, that's his name. I don't know why I always blank on it. Zeldris trying to pull the sword out, but it's Excalibur, man. It's not going to pop out like that. You see, he's no, it won't even budge. It's, uh, so it's a magical blade that can only grant its power to whomever it chooses. Fucking nonsense. And then he gets the report about how a hundred demons have been killed this time, and they still don't know who's responsible. Four days now! Four days! Our kind has been plagued by sneak attacks made by some Grim Reaper we can't identify. So Zeldris kind of insinuates he's going to go after this person before we start hearing the Demon Lord himself talking to Zeldris. And, like, Zeldris immediately assumes, like, ah, fuck, he's here to just really get on my ass about this fucking secret attacking group and actually he's like i don't even give a fuck about that i'm actually here with good news the demon lord has awoken yo zeldra's like but that doesn't make sense we haven't broken the seal we need more time and he's you know the demon lord is like nah man it's not me it's the one who's meant to succeed me you know your brother so don't be a dick you know welcome your brother as the new king and zeldra's like but but he's like I will now issue your orders because I don't want to hear your bitching. And we cut away to this shot as he gives the order to recapture Melodius as Melodius is being hugged by Elizabeth and we can see this sort of sinister look in his eyes. So if you have forgotten, by chance, uh, Melodius is still kind of like lost of his emotions. Elizabeth's trying to save him. She is currently trapped inside the perfect cube that Merlin is using. 
that seems like it's where Zeldris is going, which is kind of terrifying, because remember, the the only people who are there right now are Merlin and Escanar, who's unconscious, basically. Uh, Bond could still be in that general area, but Elizabeth and Melodius are trapped in the cube, and Melodius is evil right now. And the other, th- uh, the other three deadly sins have gone off to Camelot. So, you know, if Zeldris is just booking it, like beeline it straight towards the boar hat, uh, you know, that could be a pretty bad, dangerous situation when all that's there is Merlin and, uh, Escanar, who might be in still pretty bad condition. Although we did see Escanar at his 100% full power could be enough to, to at least delay a bad situation, but it's intriguing. Uh, as for Nick's feelings, he said, I find it interesting that Arthur has some kind of stealth thing going on, which is really not what you would expect from, you know, well, Arthur. The whole chapter, aside from demons getting slashed to ribbons, felt very kids' adventure cartoon, what with the underground resistance and the mysterious spectral evil issuing commands and making ominous proclamations. Also, why couldn't any of the fairy tale cats be like that weird circle cat thing? Mm-hmm. Well, Nick has a good point. He wants more uh, wacky cats in this series. I can understand that. You can dig it. I like this chapter, though. I think it's a fun chapter for uh, The Seven Deadly Sins. I think it was a, uh intriguing chapter. Um starting to enjoy seeing more of these developments start to happen. And uh I'm starting to also get a better sense of where everyone is in things. There was a period of time where I kind of didn't follow the series as much. So I'm trying to get back on that and uh, starting to feel like I'm actually getting it. So that's pretty cool. All right, let's finish this up then with Black Clover, chapter 100, or sorry, page 124, Mr. Delinquent versus Muscle Runt. The fuck is that name? All right. So I, I, I... I gave Nick a little bit of shit because last time uh he 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 he, he stonewalled me and my my thought that we never learned is going to go somewhere. So it's only fair but maybe I was preemptively harsh in uh judging the Kirsch development or whatever you want to call it uh, as quickly as I did because we get we get a little context here to suggest that may not entirely be how this ends up. So we start things off as Mosa is fighting up against Sol, and she, you know, uses a big flower cannon to blast one of the mud golem's arms off. I can't remember if it's mud. Yeah, it's earth magic, so I guess it's just mud. You know, she blasts one of the arms off the, the golem, and Sol's like, you're pretty good, but she uses one of her magic spells to just basically slap Mimosa in mud, which I guess is just going to immobilize her. Soul's like, hurting women isn't my thing, so just sit tight and rest. And I guess that's... <laughs> I don't know, I hope that's not the end of Mimosa, but maybe it is, I don't know. We then have this moment where Xerxes is kind of like... bragging over Kirsch. It's just like, looks like your awesome magic made you overconfident royal. You fell for a primitive trap like this, and you're a vice captain? That's hilarious. Resign, you moron. Oh yeah, no, I, I, you know what? <laughs> I should note specifically, uh, as Soul's going off to do something here, 
she kind of leaves it to Magna by saying, Now, let's see how much that glass inkwent can do. Glass inkwent. What the fuck does that even mean? I, glass inkwent. Glass inkwent! What is that? I get glasses delinquent is the combination. There's no pun in that. You're not abridging anything. You're just cutting relevant letters off of something. <laughs> you could say glass delinquent, maybe? It still wouldn't make 100% sense. It'd make a little bit more than just, like, cutting off the del and just being like, it's a pun, yo. Glass inkwent. Anyways, uh, yeah. Zerx is basically, uh, bragging over Kirsch, saying, like, yeah, you got, you suck, you did it. Uh, Ass is like, hey, come on, man, he's fucking unconscious, let him go. Uh, and they, they, they sort of talk a little bit. And he says, yeah, no matter how creepy he is, he's got skills, we don't know what he'll do, so, you know, let's, uh, bury him. <laughs> basically, that's what they do, they, they, they fucking blow up the hole and, <laughs> uh, bury him in rubble, Kirsch, so, there you go. Uh, and then they note that Magna seems like he has seen the crystal, because he shouts it out, because Magna has no inside voice, essentially. Uh, he even uh, is using his risky stolen blade, uh, stolen base flame reinforcement magic. Uh, I guess continuing to add into this sort of a uh, baseball gimmick his, his fire magic has, which I, I actually like a lot. I think it's a, kind of a cool way to combine those two flavors together into something really kind of inventive and fun. It really seems relevant here, too. So, uh, Ass is like, oh, shit, you're fast. And uh, we get a bit of a standoff now, because it's it's right now, Asta and Magna kind of talking things out, and Magna's very clear. He's like, hey, you know what? I'm not letting you get close enough to fight. At this distance, I'm guaranteed to win. And he starts hurling these uh, fireballs around, and Asta's like, ah, yeah, like my, my, uh, my thing. So I'll just knock these away. I'll just hit him with my sword. And right before they would, uh, his sword would hit like a bat. The fireball disappears and then goes, you know, as the swings, hits nothing. And then the fireball hits the crystal and damages it a little bit. And uh, Magna explains it's his new spell, Annihilation Massacre Fireball. It's uh, basically a change up, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's a fireball that disappears. If I erase it right in front of you, there's no way you're going to hit it. Basically, yeah, change up. Disappears, and then uh, Asta can't figure out where it's at. And, uh, you know, Asta's like, oh, man, such a cool spell. You're so great. And uh, the king, the king, uh, I think, has just two emotions in life. Because uh, he's just like, oh, I want to be a peasant. How dare he surprise me? And I'm like, I... <laughs> The king really just has two notes, I guess, is the way to uh, explain it. And then this is another part that's very strange to me, uh, is the wizard king's like, whoa, fascinating, because we all know he, he loves, he's a magic loser, and he loves all different kinds of magic. And he says he's cleverer than he looks. Hold on a second, I, I need to, uh, to double check this. Yeah, because cleverer... Isn't really, is cleverer a word? Like, wouldn't you say more clever? I'm trying to remember this or not. I guess you, I guess it does work. I don't know, cleverer just sounds awful. Uh, I feel like the Wizard King needs to, uh, fix up his, 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 his language. Just put, he looks really smart. He looks like a big dumb idiot. What with the 
the fucking haircut he gave himself, but he's actually pretty smart. Um, but anyway, Asta's in a bad position here. Uh, he's like, if I try to get close to him, he'll just use that racing spell to run away and then snipe the crystal. Uh, if I want to close the distance at all, I have to go black, but I can't use that again yet. Um, you know, he can't really do anything there. He wishes most would come back, and Xerx just says, hey, tough it out for ten, no, five minutes. And is like, cool beans, I could do that. Well, we cut away. We see Kirsch when he was a young person. Yeah, it doesn't look, I don't know how old he's supposed to be at the time. It looks like maybe he's like a teenager. Because we see a shot of what looks like... No, actually, never mind. That's not Mimosa. This is... They're watching this from afar. And uh, Kirsch is showing him... Uh, showing, rather, Mimosa... Oh, you see? Because we see a kid stealing bread. And, you know, he's like, do you see that? Even that young child is soiling her hands with crime. The poor are even poor in spirit. They're ugly through and through. From childhood to adulthood and on to old age, ugly people are always ugly. So Soul then wakes him up with a slap. And, uh, I guess she fucking unburied him from that rubble pretty quickly. But I guess it makes sense. She has earth magic, so what are you gonna do? Uh, she's saying, hey, look, you know, cause he obviously comes up with his fucking response of like, you know, you're a peasant, what are you doing? She's like, look, does it matter? Yeah, I'm a commoner. We're supposed to undercome, like, overcome differences in rank and fight together. You know. Kind of like what you did last time. I don't want to help out a stupid, stupid, stupid man. But this is for Charlotte, because she gave me the hope I needed to live. And don't you have any reason to curb your ego and fight? I think that's all we get from that. Yeah, we, that's all we get from this portion of it. But it does at least express the sentiment that Kirsch isn't done yet. Which is very important, because as I said, I was perhaps... Uh, well, not perhaps, I was clearly... Uh, presumptuous and just assuming that they completely belittled Kirsch's character. And, you know, it looks like maybe there will still be something there. Uh, I'm not sure what it's supposed to be because the flashback here, uh, in this chapter really wasn't endearing. <laughs> like, for a moment, I think when I first read it, I thought like, oh, maybe like Mimosa and Kirsch were actually like poor people at one point. And then they stopped, essentially. But, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> It's that's not the case. They actually completely were just doing as they did. So I don't know. Um, I'll be curious to see what happens there on that. I'm sure we're gonna get some context for it, though. We're gonna get something to give something to show off what these guys are doing. All right, and sorry, I got distracted here because someone talked about the sound being stopped on Twitch. Hopefully, that's not still an issue. Let me know. Uh, but we cut back to Asta, who is doing his best to try to avoid it. Um, but it's hard because the, the key's hard to read when the target's so small. And, uh, you know, Magda has talked about how, yeah, a peasant like me can't use high, huge, high-powered spells left to right to blow through all my magic. So that's why he came up with this surefire technical spell. It may look small, but that's how I fight, loser. And uh, Asta swings finally and blocks it. And he's like, yeah, I finally hit it. Come on, Mr. Magna, keep them coming. And they uh, he happily obliged him, because he just starts, like, tossing them out even more. And uh, they have this little moment where they, they're thinking to one another, you know, Magna is saying, like, ah, you're really good at this, Asta, you little punk. You're hardly letting any of them through now. And Asta's like, 
One in five still gets past me. If I'm going to keep this up, the crystal's going to... Man, Mr. Magna, you're as tough as I expect. You're awesome. And I think it's actually a really cool moment that they have there. Um, it's actually, I guess, maybe the element of this entire arc that's thus far felt as not as emphasized as maybe it should, because this is a really compelling thing when you think about it. Like, the Black Bulls, for as much as maybe we, we come down on them, are, I think, an engaging group in that, you know, it's easy to see why a lot of them are the way they are and why they feel so passionate. So seeing them against one another, I love this, like, the excitement of challenge they're facing here. Like, they're both talking about how amazing the other is uh, in regards to the same way. Like, you know, Magna's like, holy crap, you're not letting any of them through now. You're so great. And it's like, man, one in five of these is still getting past me. You're going to destroy this crystal. You're so great. And uh, Lux watching on, talking about how lucky everyone is. I want to worry up and do that, too. And Magnus just thinking about how it's uh, it's all thanks to Asta that this has happened. He, you know, he's gotten stronger because Asta's been getting stronger like that. You know, he's basically motivated it. But he says, listen up, though, Asta. It ain't going to be you and that you-know-kid who fight in the final round. It's going to be me and luck. And he goes through with his his big uh, next swinging attack. And then, boom, hey, Curse shows up, says, what do you think you're doing ignoring me? Asta's like, holy shit, he's back. And the last panel of the chapter is Zerk saying, and it's ready. So holy crap, you know, what's what's going to happen there? There's a lot of elements popping in. We have this tense kind of combat currently going on between Magna and Asta. Then Curse shows up. Zerks has been playing the spell for five minutes straight now. What's he got from his plans? You know, is Mimosa going to get back up and involved in this? Because she's supposed to be the relevant kind of character to Curse. She's, she's his... Sister, you know, like, there's some kind of interaction, I assume, happened there. Soul, we haven't seen do a whole lot. Like, she's not defeated or anything like that. She's just, she helped Kirsch out, and he ran off. So, presumably, she's still around. Like, it's it's exciting. We're also nowhere near where their crystal is. So, obviously, there's some stuff that's think still, uh, I think is still going to happen here. I don't think this fight's anywhere near done. Uh, and I, I guess that's a good thing. You know, this is um, this has been an exciting round of combat at the very least. Uh, I like what Magna and Asta's kind of relationship here is. You know, I'm excited to see more out of Kirsch. I'm excited to see what Zerks does. Um, you know, seems also all very, very exciting. Nick, uh, Nick agreed. He said, I'll give it props. I really appreciate that this match is about giving Magna and Soul a chance to shine when Kirsch was the star of the previous round. It'll be a little weird if Mimosa is actually out of the match, but seeing how this one is emphasizing Aston Zerk's ability to work together, presumably she'll get another chance in later rounds. Uh, the attention placed on Agnes, uh, Magna's new ability was good, and I actually got a big old grin on my face when he said he and Luck were going to reach the finals to face each other. Presumably now that Asta's let Zerk's charge up his special beam can, the next chapter will be the finish, but I liked what we got to see from Magna while it lasted. So there you go. That's what Nick thought on it. I think this fight's going to go a little bit longer. I think there's a little bit more to draw out of it, but very likely could end up next chapter. Probably will. I mean, this this series moves at a pretty quick pace, so who knows. Um, but all in all, I, I do like this chapter. I think we got some cool stuff out of it. And uh yeah, just good stuff all around. And with that, I think we are done because there is no One Piece this week. Uh, we don't have any of the other series, I think. So we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here. 
Uh, wow, this, this is crazy. It's like, uh, I think we're under two hours at this point. What a crazy world. I guess this is what happens when I don't have Nick here to talk and then for me to go off on random tangents with. So we will finish up with MVPs and chapters of the week. Um, I'll start off with Nick, whose best series this week he gave to My Hero Academia, which makes 100% sense. It is a fantastic chapter. I... I think I will agree. I think I'm also going to give it to My Hero Academia. Or... No, I'm not going to... Correction, I love My Hero Academia. I'm going to give it actually to Black Clover this week, I think. Uh, Actually, now I'm going to... Now fuck, I'm giving it to Food Wars now. (laughs) I carousel that shit. I'm going to give it to Food Wars. I think Food Wars, Black Clover, and My Hero Academia are really great chapters. All of them are. I, I'm trying to think which chapter I enjoyed the most, because I think all three of those were really strong. And I think I enjoyed Food Wars the most. Mm, now I'm debating. No, I'm going to go with it. Food Wars. All right. So, Food Wars. I'm just going to write this down so I can't change it. That's why Food Wars was mine. Nick said My Hero Academia. For Nick, he said his MVP this week was Magna, which, again, absolutely understand it. My MVP, though, is going to be Mirio. I mean, that is a, cra- a crazy awesome chapter. I love those, like, hero stand moments are one of the coolest kind of, like, tropes, I think, to to focus on. That notion of, like, going into the, uh, there's nothing left of you. It's it's just one of those awesome kind of uh, uh, shown-in moments. So I loved it. Uh, fantastic chapter there. Um, and I think a lot of characters have really great showings this week. So that's going to do it from uh, Weekly Manga Recap this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Uh, we record Wednesday evenings on twitch.tv slash and smashcast.tv slash but sometimes things change. Sometimes things happen. So that's why it's important to make sure you follow the uh, main Twitter account for Weekly Manga Recap, which is at WMR Podcast, and make sure to also follow the individual hosts' accounts, which is uh, at YRulerTime for Nick and at RollerT for myself. You follow those accounts, that way you can stay updated on any changes to the show, any modifications that may happen. Nick tweeted out actually just a little bit before the show started that he wasn't going to be here this week. So you can uh, note that. Also, yes, uh, to RMC in the chat, uh, My Hero Academia won the uh, uh, audience poll this week in a extreme sweep of it, so... There is that. Uh, guys, if you like what we do, if you like what you see on Weekly Manga Recap, you can always help support the show by going over to patreon.com slash weekly manga recap and helping us out there. We release bonus podcasts and other cool stuff for you guys who are patrons every month. We have our bonus podcast for this month, actually, which was a review of the Death Note movie, the Netflix Death Note movie. That's currently up on the uh, Patreon right now. So if you're a champion survivor, you can, or a champion patron, you can go up and grab that now. And we'll have some other cool stuff, I think, this week for you guys. Uh, so we'll try to, try to get that out there as well. Uh, if you have any questions, any comments, any suggestions, any feedback you want to offer us here on Weekly Manga Recap, you can always do that by sending us an email over at weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. And I want to give a uh, special thanks to Infamous Planet, Steve Mann, title card artist. You can check out Steve Mann's work over at Neurotic Fanboy on Twitter. Yeah, so it's a Patreon, patreon.com slash Steve Mann. Uh, it's not safe for work. Any of his stuff is not safe for work. Be very aware of that. Don't be uh, scrolling through Twitter on your phone if you followed Steve Mann. 
in uh, public because you may accidentally scroll past some uh, some sexy things. Uh, for the people who are asking in the chat, the review uh, or the bonus pod is a review of the Death Note movie. It is not commentary. It is a Death Note review. Um, but we have a very long discussion on it. Uh, we have a very cool, uh, very cool discussion, and we, we hit on basically all the big points of it, um, which I think actually functions a little bit better. And we still have a, a commentary to do this month. We maybe we'll uh, figure out something for that. Although I don't think we've done a Digimon in a little bit, so maybe we'll, we'll pop on on that. I'm not sure. But um, we also, guys, it is Statistics September, so later on this month we are going to be doing Prince of Tennis. It'll probably be like the last week. I know some people were worried that Nick's not here. Oh, we're not doing Prince of Tennis? No. Uh, Statistics September is mostly named for the fact that this month we are reading through a very long series so we could discuss it. So we will be doing that. Uh, and one last thing, I probably should have mentioned this during the uh, the email, but guys... If you have any spooky recommendations, make sure to hit us up over at Weekly Manga Recap at Yahoo.com. After we do Prince of Tennis, we're going to be jumping right into our Halloween month. So any spooky horror-themed manga, any monster-themed manga, any manga that just have a, uh, you know, kind of dark or macabre or just creature feature kind of uh, aesthetic to it. Uh, we'll be more than happy to do on our Halloween month. We're looking to take suggestions for that. So shoot them over. Weekly manga recap at yahoo.com. And that is going to do it. Guys, if you're listening, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. I apologize that we don't have Nick here, but I understand that he is doing important work. He is doing great. He'll be back next week. Thank you all for sitting in and uh, enjoying this solo episode of weekly manga recap i hope you all had fun we'll be back in our normal setup hopefully then next week and outside of that guys i don't know what to do when i don't have nick to like prompt off an ending tangent on so um i guess i'm just gonna end it you know what we have to force a joke at the end of some episodes but now i'm the only one here i'm gonna say we end it on a stalwart, proud note. Guys, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Wait, no, that's not the quote I wanted to use. Fuck. All right, well, I, I don't have time to find a new one, guys. That's going to do it. Bye!